Hello. Thank you for joining us for another episode of This Week in AML. I'm John Byrne, Chair of the AMLRS Advisory Board. And I'm Elliot Berman, our Creative Director. We are excited to welcome you to the This Week in AML podcast, where we explore key news and developments in the global financial crime prevention community. Hi, John. How are you today? Hi, Elliot. I'm good, thanks. How's it going? Uh, it's going well. Uh, met some of my colleagues uh, who I'd never met before because they joined the company uh, since the pandemic. In per- I was uh, in person at the, at the Cleveland office uh, earlier in the week, so that was fun. And um, now I'm here uh, with my weekly conversation with you. And I saw something from FATF that just came out. Um, it's a paper about an initiative they have uh, on data production technology and private sector information sharing. Um, did you see that announcement? I did. I, you know, obviously, we've always, as AML practitioners, we've always cared about improving the information sharing landscape and certainly evidenced itself, as we know, way back when with the Patriot Act, which we'll reference, but also because... Uh, Quantiverse being part of our world and uh, the importance in the cyberspace of sharing information. I think this is a uh, not just a very timely document, but it's something that I know our community continually asks about. How can we better use the data we have to help each other better prepare for financial crime prevention? So I thought that was very useful. They categorize it. FATF can't mandate anything, but they can certainly offer strong recommendations that can be part of an evaluation process. Uh, but also they have some case studies that um, give some current examples of information sharing, while again, not perfect, could be useful for other jurisdictions that are actively considering one of their recommendations, and that is to improve private sector information sharing. So again, I think, you know, 20 years ago with the Patriot Act, the information we had at hand was certainly not as robust as it is today. So we're even in a better position as practitioners to share more vital information. And this, like I said, comes at a very important time. Agreed. Uh, One of the key premises of this initiative that FATF is uh, involved in is recognizing that the, the challenge, but the importance of balancing um, uh, privacy regimes with um, information sharing to support uh, uh, anti-money laundering and terrorist, you know, anti-terrorist financing regimes as well. Um, and the importance of doing both uh, for strong, uh, stable governments and things like that. So um, it's a very interesting piece. Um, and you mentioned the case studies. I think it's worthwhile to just spend a couple minutes. I know there was an interesting, well, there is one about the U.S., which really talks about uh, 314B. So uh, I assume you took a look at that. Right. And, and as we've talked about before, the AMLA law and certainly recommendations from the community has been the 314B, while a good starting point, needs to be updated for a variety of reasons. Some will argue it should be mandatory. I'll leave that to others to debate that 
in part because in many cases, large banks don't always respond quickly enough to smaller institutions when they have 314B requests, which is, as our listeners know, is, you know, a stable of, you know, I have some information here. Uh, I'm trying to get some more from another institution in the region or another institution that has similar products, that sort of thing. So, so that's uh, to, to put that in there as an example is good. Um, and there's many others. The other one though, you and I talked about briefly offline was from the jurisdiction of Estonia and they called it AML bridge. And I know that theirs goes a goes a bit further. Uh, how do they do that from your perspective? Yeah, so they talk about the fact that they've, uh, they've created a secure digital platform that is provided by an independent third party uh, organization. And it allows um, uh, participants, which are, appear to be mostly member banks based on the write-up that appeared in the report uh, to, and they, this is their, um, uh, their phrase, pseudo-anonymized data, so that that's what's exchanged. So it's principally transaction data uh, uh, w- with end-to-end encryption. So again, coming back to what I mentioned earlier, part of the whole issue here is how do you balance the um, management of personal uh, pr- uh, private data and being able to and not let it getting into the wild inappropriately, but also share what needs to be shared so that organizations who are chasing, potentially chasing the same um, set of transactions or same bad actions uh, can do that. And so uh, they've been doing that and the information is shared in uh, near real time, uh, on a real, on a near, near to real time basis. And again, as I mentioned, the goal is collaborative investigation. So um, they've had a fair amount of uh, use um, since uh, just since March of this year. So a short time, they've had 1,200 collaborative private to private investigations. Um, and uh, well, I guess that was as of March um, uh, that and that was from a period of about a year ago. So in a nine month period, they had 1200 of them, which is, you know, um, a good start. And this is a, um, a test case. Right. It is. And it's a, it's a small jurisdiction, obviously. The other thing that I thought probably led to the amazing detail in what's almost a 70 page report is the recognition that, you know, anytime you're collecting and using data, that's going to include personal data uh, besides the obvious reasons because of laws and regulations that any misuse of that data that doesn't relate to someone that's not involved in suspicious activity needs to be avoided uh, and and prohibited. So trying to figure that out, you got to take your data systems and manage them in, as they say, in accordance with applicable rules. And, you know, so the, the legal frameworks, have to be navigated. So I think that's, again, obvious to us that are practitioners, but it's not always something that gets gets mentioned. So I thought that was useful. So they, so they acknowledge that, so that's part of it. And then as we've both seen, there's a series of recommendations that we would urge people to read just high level. Uh, they take a couple of approaches in the recommendations and they say things like, 
the public sector needs to be part of this, right? So whether it's the regulatory side, law enforcement side, and they use the term uh, utilizing regulatory sandboxes and pilot programs. And I think pilot programs are something that we've seen in the AMLA laws as well. Let's do something on innovation. Let's do something on sharing, you know, across uh, jurisdictions, that sort of thing. So I think using pilots makes a lot of sense. So that's that's one of the one of the recommendations. There are other recommendations there that struck you as important? Well, I mean, the private, you know, private sector should consider, I'm reading now from the report, uh, from the summary, uh, private sector should consider the application of privacy enhancing technologies where they're fit for the purpose, um, take steps toward data preparation, uh, pursuant to, you know, pursue data protection by design, the idea that, you know, you build into your core systems and to your the way you handle data that you're you're protecting it from day one. It's not painting some protection on it on the way out the door, um, and uh, establish early and ongoing engagement with the data privacy protection authorities. And one of the things you and I spoke about also offline uh, is that uh, at the moment the U.S. doesn't have a particularly comprehensive data privacy. Uh, regime at the at the national level, um, data privacy is tucked into a number of different places, and m- more and more states in the U.S. are beginning to adopt their own privacy regimes, which isn't a bad thing. But again, with fifty states plus the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico and other protectorates, it gets pretty complicated to figure out how to navigate you know, as a, as a business, whether it's a bank or, and, you know, there are many banks in the U S and other financial service providers that provide services across state lines. Um, so, uh, coordinating with those is a challenge, but, um, hopefully, uh, this will be another prompt to the U S to begin to think about how to come up with a national privacy regime. Yeah, and, and toward the end, way at the end, they talk about what they're calling concrete results of public-private partnerships. There's a few examples in there. I roll my eyes a little bit about the Russia one, but the other ones, uh, <laughs> uh, UK, UK, Australia, they talk about the FinCEN exchange, uh, Canada, uh, Canada's uh, project-based partnerships include um, or at least the, the outcomes have, according to report, new typologies and indicators that show what happens when you cooperate with the private sector, significant increases in STR filings, uh, and a lot of briefings. So FinTrack, their, uh, their FinCEN, is doing a number of briefings to domestic and international audiences. So the, the obvious things in the recommendations, just some of the examples of current partnerships that are working well is also, I'd say, pretty important reading uh, toward the end of the report. Yeah, I think this report is a worthy look. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of FATF generally. I mean, I think they do interesting things and they've, you yeah. know, because they're not a government, but they, but they have government representatives from many participating nations I think they get the right people in the room and um, can have a lot of really valuable uh, influence and uh, get people thinking about stuff that's really important. Not that they weren't thinking about it before, 
but with colleagues from around the globe. Um, so we really do get uh, a unified approach because, as, as you and I have talked many times, uh, global crime, corruption, fraud, these are all global things. Um, there's, there is local stuff, but a lot of these things cross uh, uh, national borders uh, because they're pretty porous. Um, and uh, it's important to have um, a group that's helping foster a global view on how to how to deal with it. Right. And so the report, again, uh, partnering in the fight against financial crime, data protection, technology and private sector information sharing is available, of course, on FATF's website, newly and issued report. Uh, so we would urge folks to take a look at that. And we'll look, link to it. We'll link to the report on on the description of this uh, podcast that appears on our website. So find the link there too. So John, I know we, um, you've got some interesting things in the pipeline um, interviews. Uh, if you want to talk about a couple of those. Yeah. So um, the interviews that are coming up include one with the director of the center for banking at Marquette university. They have an interesting partnership that that school has done with a microfinance organization in Central America. And they talk about how they help uh, local farmers and other small businesses handle sort of day-to-day uh, you know, -day banking. So um, when we talk about inclusion, I think that's important. Um, next week, we'll have a conversation with an expert in export issues about a recent FinCEN guidance that's coming up. Um, also going to be uh, talking in the next few weeks to, as I think I've mentioned before, and he's been on the podcast before, the preeminent expert in the U.S., and I would argue globally, Steph Casella, on asset forfeiture. And then we have a few other things that, that I'm working on as well. Yes, and uh, on Thursday, July 28th, uh, will be this month's uh, AML Voices webinar. And it's uh, a really... Uh, uh, we're going to have a really good conversation on what do you really need to know related to KYC. So uh, very practical, uh, great discussion among experts. So if you'd like to uh, register for that, uh, go to our website and uh, uh, you can do that. And we hope that you'll do that and per, uh, sit in on that. So, John, uh, you have a great weekend and I will talk to you next week. Will do. Take care of yourself, Elliot. See you. Yep. Bye bye.